On today's episode of Yours Mentally, we're going to be talking about the polyvagal theory. While this concept is relatively new to me as well, I don't really have much to add to it. I recommend you listen to this episode because there's so much to learn from it, and it was probably one of the most interesting and intellectual conversations I've had on the podcast so far. This episode is in conversation with Jahan Ara, who's a trauma-informed psychotherapist. So, without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So, on today's episode, where we're going to be talking about the polyvagal theory, before we begin, Jahan, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the basics of the nervous system, can you please give an overview of the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system and its structures? Yes, absolutely. I think it's so essential to know what the central nervous system is. So your nervous system, um, even if we look at it from you know a evolutionary or an animal uh, mammalian perspective, it's a highly complex part of an animal. That what it, what does it do? It coordinates your actions. It coordinates your sensory information. So your your nervous system is basi- basically it's transferring signals, and so it's telling your organs what to do, and then it's giving those signals back to your brain. So within that system, right, you have your central nervous system and then the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system, for people who are not familiar with it, is basically just your brain and your spinal cord, right? So it's a big part of the system, your brain and your spinal cord. Peripheral nervous system is something that is more of like a transmitter. So think of it as like a train station, right? Lots of nerves, lots of branches going up and down the spinal cord to the brain, from the brain and connecting to all these organs. So the peripheral nervous system says, okay, so give me a command, And the brain says, okay, here's your command. And the peripheral nervous system says, I'm going to get it to the organs. So then it goes all the way and it tells the organs what to do. It gives the body different signs and cues of danger and safety. So yeah, that's a little bit about what the central nervous system is and what the peripheral nervous system is. Mm -hmm. Right. And Jahan, I was also wondering, what exactly is the vagus nerve? Oh, yes. What a good question. So before getting into polyvagal theory, I think it's so important to kind of know what the vagus nerve is because it's the... it's the central component of this theory, right? Mm-hmm. To understand that, we it's one of the longest cranial nerves. So you have different kinds of bunches of nerves. One of them is the, the vagus nerve. So it's the longest cranial nerve and it extends throughout your body. So it's starting from the back of your head. It's connecting your face, your diaphragm, your digestive system. It's a major component of the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's, 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 it's important for a lot of body functions. So your control of mood, your immune response, your digestion, your heart rate. It's also called the 10th cranial nerve, or sometimes people call it the X cranial nerve. So it is, it's so complex and it's so long and it's so important for us to know what it is before mm-hmm. kind of understanding what, what the polyvagal theory is all about, because it's all about this this nerve. So John, when Tarisha and I were researching about polyvagal theory, we read something about Stephen Porges and Deb Dana. Can you tell us who they are? Yes, absolutely. It's so important to know about Stephen Porges because he is the founder. So he's a psychiatrist in the US. He teaches at a bunch of universities and he is the founding director of the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium. So he's a professor of psychiatry. And what he was doing was he was carrying out different experiments and figuring out stuff about the vagus nerve. And he Mm -hmm. came across the, that's how he kind of figured out the polyvagal theory because he said, wait a second, this is super important for us to know in terms of, you know, psychology and science and the way that we respond to trauma. So Stephen Porges is the founder of polyvagal theory. Deb Dana is a licensed clinical social worker. So she came across Stephen Porges and she was like, hey, this is really important work. Like this is going to help us so much in understanding 
trauma survivors and people who blame themselves for like not being smart enough with trauma or not reporting the abuse sooner or having feelings of self-blame or guilt. And she said, you know, wait a second, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the work you're doing and we're going to translate this into counseling. We're going to see how can we bring this into benefiting clients, into benefiting our trauma populations. So she's written really wonderful books. If uh, the listeners are interested, one of them is called The Polyvagal Theory in Therapy. And the other one is called Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, in which they kind of talk about, you know, there's so many ways to stimulate the vagus nerve and bring ourselves to safety and connection back. So it's a little bit about Stephen Porges and Deb Dana. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I definitely want to read the first book. <laughs> so now I want to ask you the question that our listeners are probably waiting to hear. What exactly is the polyvagal theory? Yes, the big mystery reveal. So <laughs> we've, let's kind of like put it, put it, put, divide it into two words. So poly means many, right? So poly means many and then vagal means for the vagus nerve. So when we say polyvagal theory, we mean that the different branches of the vagal nerve, of the vagus. And Stephen Porges, he kind of identified these three different branches that the vagus nerve has. So they are the ventral, the sympathetic, and then the dorsal. So with a lot of trauma work, we see that people can stay stuck in one level, right? And I'll kind of get a little bit into what those states are. But we see that you're either stuck in the freeze response or sometimes trauma survivors a lot of the time are stuck in the sympathetic fight response. And the, the purpose of polyvagal theory is understanding that you can come back to co-regulation because this is one nerve and it's up and down and you can, you can find places and, and ways to feel safe. So the polyvagal theory says there's, there's three ways that the vagus nerve can react right, to danger. And we specifically talk about trauma clients because in trauma, this is something that is kind of threatening your existence, whether that's your physical existence and trauma can be something that threatens your emotional existence, right? So the nervous system is at, it's, it's threatened. It's like, okay, I need to survive. So these are some of the three survival responses. So what does the vagus nerve do? I think for everyone who's listening, I'd want to kind of guide you to imagine a ladder or you can imagine a staircase. Some people imagine a mountain. And we're going to start by dividing that mountain or that ladder or that staircase into three different portions. One is right at the beginning or bottom of the ladder. Then one is the middle of the ladder. And then one is the top of the ladder, right? So the bottom of the ladder is your dorsal vagal response. So this is one of the first ones we're going to talk about polyvagal theory, the dorsal vagal. So what does dorsal mean? In biological term, dorsal means the backside of something, right? So the dorsal response is shutting down, freezing, fainting, dissociation, depression, taking your time to process something. So it's basically when the body shuts down, the stimulus is too much for the body and the body shuts down. It's fatigue. Uh, we experience lack of motivation. You kind of feel the lightheadedness of a bad flu, something like that. The body doesn't have energy. So you're numb. You are collapsed, you're shut down. And it almost feels like you're buried under this huge load and you can't get out. Interestingly, this dorsal vagal response that we're talking about, which is the backside of the vagus nerve, so the dorsal, is 500 million years old. 
And if you're a trauma survivor and you're listening to this, I encourage you to really think about this. You know, the things that you think are your inherent faults or why didn't you, you know, report the abuse or why didn't you get up in that moment? Why didn't you fight back? I need you to understand that this dorsal vagal response is 500 million years old. And it is a biological response where your body knows, ke, oh, oh, the, the, the stimulus is too much. Let's shut down. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, when you see a lot of animal documentaries, and you, we, we observe this behavior in animals, when they're caught as prey, they pretend to be dead, right? They will become very still. They become very immobilized. If you've ever seen a lion attack a deer, sometimes they become really still and they pretend as if they're dead because evolutionarily that has helped them. The lion loses interest in them or then the lion is distracted and then that helps the deer run away eventually. So it is such an animalistic evolutionary response and it's 500 million years old. So it comes more natural than the response that I'm going to talk about next which is the sympathetic response. So if you were imagining yourself at the bottom of the ladder, I want you to kind of take a few steps, bitsy bitsy steps and come up. And now we're in our sympathetic board. So the sympathetic vagal response. Sympathetic vagal response is, it's old, still pretty old, but not as old as the dorsal. So the the urge or this this impulse that we have to fight came so much later than the dorsal. The dorsal was so much older, you know, when we're freezing than the sympathetic. The sympathetic is just 200 million years old. In the sympathetic, there's lots of mobilization. There is agitation. You're very frantic. You're feeling anxious and irritated. The, the world seems very dangerous when you're in this state, chaotic. The world is unfriendly. The world is unsafe. It is our fight response. We see a lot of people with, let's suppose, anger management issues or people with anxiety anxiety or when your system is always out for threat, you're always in that response. Mm -hmm. With a lot yeah. of trauma survivors and clients, we see that when your body has experienced so much threat, your system stays stuck in sympathetic because it says, nope, I have to be on the lookout for danger all the time because the first time this happened to me, I was not expecting it. So people kind of stay stuck at that point of the ladder. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to move yeah. up to the ladder. So now we're at the top of the ladder. I'm going to talk about ventral vagal. So your ventral vagal response, which is the third type of response of the vagus nerve, also called the social engagement system. So now we're at the top of the ladder, is a place where you're feeling safe, where you are feeling social, where you're feeling engaged, you're connected. The world feels like uh, it's you feel empowered and you, you want to connect with others. So this is like that social engagement system. Before polyvagal theory, people would look at the nervous system as just like a two-part thing. So either you're activated or you're not activated, right? Mm -hmm. And Stephen Party says, no, wait a second. There's a third system. And this happens when recovery starts happening. Immediately, you will notice that your nervous system is more, wants to be in the presence of other nervous systems. So you want to co-regulate. You want to reach out. You want to be in the presence of other people. You want to socially engage. Dreams seem more realistic. We're more creative. We're more empowered. We can see our strengths. In sympathetic and dorsal, when people are depressed and unmotivated or angry and anxious, we can't always see our strengths, right? And uh, yeah, that's a little bit a little bit about what the polyvagal theory is. Right. Well, no, so you explained very well. It took a while to okay. process, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a really well. Right. So, Jahan, how can the use of social engagement system be beneficial for us? 
I think there's lots of exercises when we come down to the therapy, the polyvagal therapy of this, mm-hmm. where it can be very beneficial for you to kind of understand what are what does your ventral vagal look like, right? Ventral vagal for um, Aman look like. Mm-hmm. It it looks different for different people, but it is a place where we are doing different exercises and we're doing breath work and yoga and dance and getting connected with our body is very important for trauma survivors and for everybody else too. But specifically, if you have a trauma history, it's really important to kind of get connected and communicate to your ventral vagal. So I want you to think of the listeners to, to think of your ventral vagal system as a part of you that loves you a lot, but it doesn't speak the language of words. Okay. So when we're trying to communicate with that part of us that loves us a lot, we have to speak a different language. That system is so old on a cognitive intellectual level, a survivor could know, yeah, of course I get it. The, it's not my fault. But that the nervous system is still, you're still having panic attacks, you're still getting overwhelmed, you are in, um, you know, your body's still still in sympathetic energy or in dorsal energy. So the way to communicate with this part of us that loves us a lot and is always out to protect us is to breathe. When we breathe, we regulate the system when we tell it, you know, it's okay, you're home and you're fine, you're with me, you're safe inside me. It's okay to relax and de-stress. So we do recommend, you know, for with trauma work, a lot of breath work, a lot of grounding, a lot of yoga, a lot of, you know, whether that's dance or movement and that, that also in smaller steps, right? So I work with a lot of people who have dissociation. You don't want to immediately kind of load the person with sensory stimulus either. So if you're trying to get more in touch with what your ventral vagal looks like, take it take it slow take it one step at a time yeah right and jahan i think you used this word quite a few times in explaining what the polyvagal theory is i think our listeners would like to know what exactly is co-regulation yes <laughs> i've been saying that word and not explaining what it yeah. is so co-regulation is a very good question your regulation is when two nervous systems are with each other so i want you to think of like this law of physics right so there's two people and there are different frequencies, right? So one person is at a waves that are going up and down, up and down, up and down. And one person is at a steady wave. So kind of like the waves in the ocean, just up and down, relaxed. Whenever two nervous systems are going to be together, they're going to try to co-regulate, to reach a frequency in which both people can exist. Mm-hmm. So how do we use this in therapy? You can use this with your friends, people who make you happy, loved ones. Co-regulation can look like, you know, doing breath work together. So sitting perhaps with couples work, you know, sitting with your partner, holding hands together, grounding in the moment, doing the grounding exercise, not on your own, but together with someone, whether that's your brother or sister or your partner or your therapist. Um, And a lot of the times in therapy, we say when we want the the client to regulate and the client system to feel safe, we don't ask them to take a breath. We take a breath because when I take a breath, And when my system is regulated, the other person's nervous system is going to try to very naturally come to my level and relax and figure out this is a safe place to be, right? So that's a little bit about what co-regulation is. And it's very central to the concept of polyvagal. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it definitely does. Awesome. Right. So, Jahan, can you also tell us what is neuroception? Yes. People think um, neuroception is similar to perception. It's not. So I think I'll explain what neuroception is by explaining what it's not. So when we talk about perception, perception is something that you're very aware of, right? Mm -hmm. You're aware that, you know, you're sitting in a room, the color of the walls, you know, you're aware of where your hands are, you're aware of what you're looking at. This is thing, these are things in your perception. You can hear the traffic outside, you know, you can feel the chair that you're sitting on. These are things that are very actively, they're in your perception. So these are being processed by a very 
active conscious part of your brain neuroception is you know your nervous system is picking up cues of safety and danger and your neuroception is what is the nervous system picking up that's not in my my window of consciousness right mm-hmm. so sometimes we pick up signals like you know to understand what is safe and what is not safe which i think we can kind of move into that as well neuroception is something that your system is like again like i said your nervous system loves you a lot and it's like the surveillance system which is on the lookout to protect you so it's picking up cues that you don't even know where it's telling you okay this is a safe environment okay this is not a safe environment so it's like it's something that's not in your perception so that's neuroception understanding safety without maybe cognitively or intellectually understanding it sometimes right. people and we feel so at ease with them and we're not understanding well i don't know this person really didn't say anything but i feel so safe with them i feel so nice and at that neuroception level there's so many cues of safety that are happening that are telling your nervous system it's okay it's safe to be with this person yeah so something like a gut feeling sort of yeah yeah absolutely i was also wondering what are the cues of safety and the cues of danger right so cues of safety are things that bring us into that ventral vagal top of the ladder Uh, regulation yeah. right so mm-hmm. a happy connected state sometimes safety cues look like the way that someone is talking to you the way that they're moving their head you know is bringing you into that safety regulation how right. you know when we say we talk about active listening when you're actually listening to someone put your phone away right look at them in the eye bend mm-hmm. forward towards them leaning in these are all things that are happening on a non verbal level uh, that are giving people cues of safety right maybe you're talking to yeah. someone and they're speaking in a tone that is very like gentle and soothing to you and you feel relaxed now this is not something that's happening on a conscious level you're not thinking consciously oh wow this person is talking in a smooth way great i love i'm having love having this conversation it's more at the mm-hmm. subconscious level where it's like it's a safety cue very similar to how cues of danger work like for pts Uh, folks we see that a cue of danger is a loud sound right cognitively on an intellectual level we can't really justify like how does that make sense you know is this traffic is just a, it's just a horn it's not going to harm you but that what's happening in the nervous system the nervous system is saying wow this is a big sign of danger it may not make sense intellectually but i'm not feeling safe right mm-hmm. yeah. and with loud noises or certain movements even cues of safety can be you know when in a counseling relationship we give clients a sense of autonomy so i say what what do you want to do what do you want to talk about you know tell me more about your day you know what is something that you don't want to talk about now i'm not saying oh hey i am giving you autonomy right now that's why this is working right <laughs> but your nervous system is picking up okay oh wow this is great no one's going to like pull me in a corner and force me to talk about my trauma there's no retraumatization yeah. that's going to happen so safety cues are things that are happening at that subconscious level where you may not be aware of it but your nervous system is i think mm-hmm. that i want to mention about about this before kind of moving on to the next question is there are three ways where we see safety and danger cues the first one is within us the second one is in our environment and the third one is in between our relationship or connection with another so an example of a safety cue in between like inside me would be oh i'm noticing that my breath is like pretty steady right now i feel good my breath is good right so that's a safety cue yeah. that i'm getting from in right or i'm pretty full i don't need more food right now the safety cue all right a safety cue in my environment is okay i'm sitting in my bedroom nothing bad can happen here right okay cool 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 you know you're safe there and a safety cue in between a relationship is you know similar to i was saying the way someone's talking to you or the autonomy that they're offering you or you know how how safe your nervous system feels around them a danger cue would be you know i inside me would be i'm feeling sweaty 
I'm noticing that my breath is very short right now. I'm noticing that I'm getting butterflies in my stomach. All right, so that's a danger cue, right? Coming from inside me. A danger yeah. cue in my environment is, um, I don't know, being at work and an office space where I feel like my colleagues are hostile. They're like, oh, this is a danger cue, right? The nervous system is scared. It's like, nope, this is not a safe environment. Then between people is, let's suppose I'm talking to my boss and I'm feeling nervous. So then there's a danger cue there. Of, of, there's a different power dynamic. So people's safety and danger cues are so different. So a lot of the times when we're doing therapy work, I work with my clients to say, you know, what are your safety cues? And when you're feeling safe, try to bring awareness to that or why is it that I'm feeling safe in this moment or why is it that I'm not feeling safe so it's almost like being in touch with a little bit of your triggers but understanding it more from a neuroception point of view than a perception logical intellectual point of view right okay this is so much to process you know I'm just like okay yeah I genuinely feel like Yeah, I feel I feel dumb actually because like everything you say is like so new to me. I was like, oh, okay, this this. Oh, this, this is you. Well, this is good. I mean, you just got smarter in twenty six minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I surely did. <laughs> right. So, Jahan, can you tell me what populations does polyvagal theory best work with? Polyvagal theory works best with populations of trauma. It doesn't mean it can't work with other people. I know that it's working with grief. I've seen Deb Dana use it with grief. I've seen attended her trainings using it with phobias as well. So even with phobias, you see that the system is so, you know, overwhelmed. Your nervous system is so overwhelmed. You're in a high drive anger, anxiety. But I think mostly it works for trauma populations because trauma is, you know, with more research, we're figuring out that trauma is in the body as opposed to just being like a, intellectual or cognitive thing if the body experiences it every single cell in your body remembers that memory of the trauma and that's when you know when you have panic attacks and different physical symptoms and people have IBS and fibromyalgia and so many different you know chronic pain things like that so it i think it works best for trauma populations yeah mm-hmm. right so john can you tell me how does trauma affect our nervous system's response I think that's a really good one because what trauma does is, you know, we're talking about that ladder, the polyvagal ladder with the dorsal at the bottom, the sympathetic in the middle and the ventral at the top. Sometimes trauma keeps us stuck in one of the states. And the idea of therapy and the idea of this polyvagal theory is we're going to find ways to regulate the nervous system to kind of be flexible between the so we're going up and down the ladder with more ease. So sometimes people in trauma states the what it does to the nervous system is that you're always out you're looking out for danger you're so anxious all the time you're always looking out for what's what's the next thing that's going to attack me super conscious or not super conscious so that's something how trauma kind of affects the body and the nervous system is it kind of keeps you stuck in one state and the point of polyvagal is to kind of you can reach other states and you can come back to safety and connection lastly jahan can you tell me how do therapists incorporate the polyvagal theory in their practice and like How exactly does it help their clients? I think the first one is just, you know, the conversation that I'm having with you all is just kind of educating them about it. There's a lot of self-blame that we see with trauma survivors. I work with a lot of people, domestic violence survivors, rape, sexual assault. There's a lot of self-blame that goes with survivors of abuse, even generally PTSD survivors. And I think the first thing is the psychoeducation piece, so telling them about these responses and saying, "Hey, you're not you know there's nothing wrong with you for doing that this was like a response that's 500 million years old on the vagus nerve right mm-hmm. even just telling them that is sometimes so therapeutic and so relieving to hear that there's nothing wrong with you this is just something that mm-hmm. can be fixed right and also what i do a lot with 
clients is we try to map the states. So we'll start a session and I'll be like, you know, where do you notice yourself? Where are you right now? And people would be like, you know, I'm really in dorsal right now. I have lack of motivation. They're like, okay. Or someone would be like, I am super in sympathetic right now. I feel very angry and anxious. Like, okay, mm-hmm. sure. So mm-hmm. um, what I, what, in counseling and, you know, I, I kind of recommended some Deb Dana's books earlier is we try to figure out exercises and we map them and we see what does this uh, ladder look like? Different for different people. Sometimes I'd have people kind of draw it out. Um, so make a drawing of what your dorsal state looks like. Make a drawing of what your ventral vagal looks like. Make a drawing of what your sympathetic fighting energy looks like, right? So they make a drawing of that. They understand that the idea is with trauma, it takes away our, it doesn't take away our strength. We still have our strengths. We still have yeah. our unique things. It takes away our perception of them. So when we get more in touch with our needs and when I know what I want, then I'm going to be able to get it. So kind of mapping where you are on those three states and kind of figuring out what moves you better. So when you're in dorsal and when you're unmotivated, what helps you come into sympathetic? And then from when you're in sympathetic, what helps you come all the way up into ventral where you're feeling empowered? Some people say, you know what? Sometimes it's like taking a cold shower. I'm like, wow, wonderful. What else? So sometimes going for a run, exercise. So the coping is pretty unique to people. One of the great things in working with polyvagal is that you don't need to revisit the trauma to talk about this. A lot of talk therapy is tell me what happened. Uh, With polyvagal is you don't need to tell what happened. One thing you really need to be mindful working with trauma survivors is you don't want to make people repeat their past like that. Um, It can re-traumatize. So with polyvagal, you know, we just we're talking about the three states and we're talking about it in a very deep way, but also not in a re-traumatizing way. So I think it's a it's a really good way to target uh, the body and the brain and trauma. Well, wow. that was a very, very good episode. Honestly, Definitely. learned so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, it's like probably the most intellectual conversation I've ever had in my entire life. Like, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, honestly, like, I'm not even saying this joke or anything. I genuinely I felt like I learned so much from this, and like, there's so much. Oh, to, wonderful! That's so good yeah. to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, there's so much I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. even know about the polyvagal theory before this. Like, when Aman sent me the list, I didn't even know what it was. And then yeah. he's like, you know, there's a lot to learn. So then I'm like, yeah, definitely count me in. Yeah, no, it's new. It's very new actually, because Abhi, um, even with. Uh, I attend lots of, I mean, I studied in the US and, you know, even when I'm talking to some of the US therapists, it's not something that's not just in South Asia. I would, they were asking me, how do you work with traumas? And I was like, with polyvagal. And they're like, what? And I was like, come on, you don't know what polyvagal. And, and then I kind of psychoeducated them on it too. So this is something even in the US, Australia, um, you know, in the UK, this is something that's sort of slowly taking up more space than, yeah. than it has before in the past yeah right so thank you john for being with us and thank to you. everyone listening thank you for listening i'll see you guys in the next episode